You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Monday edition of Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. We're going to talk some news. We will finally get into my MLB draft piece. And then we'll talk about everything that uh, occurred with Indians and uh, former Indians players. Why don't we lead off with that? And we're done. Okay, let's move on to the rest of the news. So the uh, the news was relatively barren. The biggest announcement, I think, is that Alex Wood signed a one-year, $4 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It can get up to $10 million. I mean, that's not much. Um, I was a fan. I think this is a great deal for them. He's been a solid pitcher up until last season when he was hurt. And at a $4 million risk, hey, you know, go for it. Um <laughs> It is not much of a price, and they get another interesting arm, a guy they know and are familiar with, and a guy they traded to the Reds just a year ago and got, what, two of their top five prospects in that deal. So it worked out very well for the Dodgers. And with uh, with him out, the starting pitching market is now down to Ivan Nova and friends, uh, and that means there's only eight guys left from the MLB Trade Rumors Top 50 piece so yeah it's uh it's getting very sparse out here uh you got your three at the top and then you got Puig and Holt and then you got uh three that are like eh uh other news Todd Frazier signed with the Rangers this should really be no surprise they've wanted a third baseman for a while they've been kind of in on everyone but have fallen short and I've also, you know, made it very clear they had a 0.0% chance of getting Arenado. They just don't have the pieces nor the system to get that done. And Frazier was the best third baseman left whose name isn't Josh Donaldson. He was the clear, you know, uh, fifth guy because I still think Moustakas is more a third baseman. But at the same time, you know, he was it. If you wanted a, a, to add a third base bat at this point, it was Todd Frazier. Um, if you weren't willing to go out and spend the money. So Frazier to the Rangers, it just it's a move that makes sense for them at this point. They still, I think, are probably your, your likely landing point for uh, Nick Castellanos. We'll have to kind of see how that goes. Uh, but there's just not a lot of other teams that have really been all that uh, in-depth with him at this point, if we're being honest. You know, the Cubs say they'd like to have him back, but the Cubs are also clearly cutting payroll. And when you pull up the Texas Rangers current lineup and how they're looking after some of their moves and deals, um, you know, Todd Frazier slots in at third, Robinson Chirinos, who they also recently signed, slots in at catcher. How much do you believe in Ronald Guzman? I mean, that's kind of your, your question. If you're not super sold on him, then, you know, Todd Frazier, ooh, I can't believe that. they currently on the MLB, on a what's it called uh roster resources have danny santana listed in center field that isn't gonna happen uh danny santana joey gallo um willie calhoun outfield could be the worst we've seen in the history of baseball in terms of defensive metrics i mean that's an ugly combination that they currently have listed as the starters i don't know what they're gonna do or how they're gonna bounce all these bats because you also have chu who is a net negative defender um and that's, whew, I mean, it's odd to say, but Castellanos might actually be an upgrade on a few of those guys. So it, I, whew, I can't believe Danny, has Danny Santana actually ever played any center field? That just does not seem, 
like something he would have done at any point in his career. He wasn't a good infielder. Um, I mean, I could be wrong in this, but I just, now that I'm looking at the data, I'm like, no, come on, really? Really? Uh, I guess he does have some center field in his past. He was outfield, uh, when was the last time he played center field? He played, he played some games last year for them, um, and it was pretty ugly. I mean, to me, Santana is like a, he should be shifting to first base for them anyways. Um, God, what are you doing center then? Uh, I mean, I don't know. This is an ugly defensive constructed team. Um, you're going to have Gallo and Wright. Calhoun, I mean, he's a DH, but yet, I mean, you might be better off with Calhoun DHing and Chu and La- I don't know. I don't know how you make it all work. Castiliano still fits because he also can't defend. So you can just keep adding these terrible defenders to this team and trying to outslug your opponent while playing in Texas, which may not be the worst approach, let's be honest. But yeah. That's an odd team. Let's just let's just put it there and put a pin in that and walk away. Um, Cardinals and Rockies engaged in preliminary Arenado talks. I talked about this when the the trade happened. That was my first thought, and I still think there is a logic to that deal. And I still think the trade with the Rays only makes sense. I mean, it, it, let's put it this way: it's not something that is completely nonsensical. Um, there is a logic to it, just that they had too many outfielders. And no idea what to do with them. But for a team looking to get better to trade two guys who could help now for nothing in the immediate uh, future in terms of help is an, is an odd move. Um, it'd be like the Indians right now trading away uh, Plutko and Plesak and getting uh, an interesting bat in, in you know, high or low A. It's like, well, that doesn't help a team that, that's trying to compete. So I don't know, uh, like I said, that that's one of the things, and there's a lot of net negativity about why that deal might not happen, whether they don't think it's going to happen. I, I just, as you saw with Goldschmidt a year ago, don't look past the Cardinals making uh, aggressive moves. And one of those things, I'm trying to remember what I said on Twitter, what I said on the podcast, but at this point, um, the Rockies have looked into like Jonathan Lucroy, who's very clearly had nothing left for a few years as teams keep trying him, and then not even he, he loses the starting gig there relatively quickly. Um, if the, because I mean Walters is Tony Walters, former Indian, great defender, uh, can't hit his weight, and they have a need a catcher. Um, so it's one of those things when you got Andrew Kisner that that gives it an interesting piece for a team that's looking for catcher. You add in. I mean, honestly, like you look at the Cardinals, they could package multiple bad contracts and look to trade uh, Kisner. It feels a lot, honestly, with the with the or Arenado's potential opt out to trade like Kisner plus Libertor plus um, Gorman, but it could be something like honestly like Libertor and Kisner, and then you know one other piece, maybe someone like Lane Thomas. Uh, another outfield player who uh, could also slot in along with then some salary jets some and float some like uh, like Derek Fowler, but I still think a deal is very much uh, makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals at this point, and even if they make a trade like that, you know I I think that is a team with the outfield depth that the Indians and Cardinals still make some sense. Uh, I mean the Cardinals are counting on Quang Hing Kim who they imported um, in December. Yeah, Wainwright, who's at the end. Dakota Hudson, who, I mean, I saw that, like, he was talked about as a rumor piece in the Rockies deal. Like, baseball teams aren't dumb. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that 
presents better. And I mean, I was a huge fan of him in his draft class. It looks better for me if he succeeds. But like, let's be honest, Dakota Hudson's peripheral numbers were not good and did not point to someone who was going to be able to uh, continue doing what he did uh, last year. Like, I think anyone who does any type of analytical judgment would be like, uh, yeah, he's going to fall to the earth. Now, his second half numbers, if you go and you pull up the old splits, do point to, again, the problem with splits, I'll just say, is that it is a you know, relatively small numbers, but his second half numbers do encourage. Like, he was really good in the second half, better than he was in the first half, but the overall FIP across both those levels, um, not the most encouraging in terms of projecting him to, to keep doing what he has done uh, going forward. Like, here we go, advanced first half, a, a FIP of 5, second half, a FIP of 4.84. Um, so, yes. You know, struck out more, also walked more in the second half. Uh, K percentage was up, walk percentage was up. Uh, average against, like almost a 70-point drop. Bap hip, almost a 70-point drop, which with the pitcher shows, well, he maybe wasn't really improved as much as he was a little more lucky. He was a little unlucky in the first half, and he was very lucky in the second half. And this is just me as a very base-level person knowing some of these things. Like, these are old things these aren't the new things that teams are looking at I just I can't see Dakota Hudson having really hardly any trade value like any more than a a Zach Plesak honestly just because they both have similar peripherals and teams are going to look at that information and if I go over to you know baseball savant just to confirm all of this make sure there isn't some spin rate data I'm missing on with uh, Dakota Hudson maybe they're hoping teams will get confused between Dakota and Daniel Hudson um so it's interesting. He doesn't actually have... There we go. Uh, yeah, and his his spin rates are terrible. Uh, 22nd percentile for fastball. 13th percentile for curve. K percentage, 16th. Hard hit percentage, 28th. Uh, exit velocity, 30th. Like His, his fastball velocity at 60% is his best um, relative to the rest of the league. He has a bad combination of very little spin, which is probably why he gets hit so hard, and getting hit very hard. Um you combine all that there, and I'm just I hate to pile on Dakota Hudson, but yeah, I I expect him to spend some time in AAA this year. That's not maybe the nicest way to phrase it, but that's I don't think he is a legitimate trade piece for um, anything the Cardinals do. Cardinals still seem like the natural landing spot for Marcelo Zuna. We'll see. Maybe the Giants jump in on him. He, uh, you know, the Giants have looked to spend some money. They've been connected to a few teams. They are in a uh, very wealthy. Um, metro area and you look at the lineup alex dickerson is currently projected to be their left fielder um yastrzemski had that uh great second half but there's a reason why he didn't really get a full chance in the majors until he was 29 he's he's another guy who has a a good chance of kind of regressing i've been a dugger guy since since he was in college so i'm not gonna i'm gonna just enjoy uh, the fact that he is in the majors when I, I know I was a high man on him because quick divergence. Duggar was a guy I really did not like going into his junior year. He was all these tools, but he never produced. And he was at a good program, but you know there was strike to walk imbalance. There was lack of production imbalance. 
those guys where I see tools and no production or relatively low production of tools, I'm just like, ew. Like, you should be able to, if you can't dominate in college when you are clearly athletically superior, it's not going to get any easier. And then a funny thing happened. He had a good cape. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see if he turns. He had an awesome junior year at Clemson. So much so I gave him a late first round grade, even though before the season began, he was a first round grade on almost every board. Uh, didn't Wasn't on mine. And then at the end of the year, after an awesome junior year, um, he didn't have a first round grade on any board but mine. And I didn't get it. And I thought the Giants got a steal. And now he's in the majors. So uh, he hasn't necessarily been a stellar player, but he's been good enough to hold down a major league spot for a few years. He'd definitely be an upgrade over what the Indians have uh, had. Let's see, his, uh, his, uh, not the best on base plus slugging, let's be honest. More of a fourth outfielder, but still for a guy who I'm trying to think, sixth round pick. I was kind of still shocked by that even now when I looked that up, that he, uh, he made it to the majors who's been a, a regular now alex dickerson was an interesting guy a few years ago in san diego 2016 um 84 games 285 at bats that's not an insignificant amount of games nine percent walk 15 percent strikeout a 111 runs created plus and then he just got hurt and he hadn't really played he didn't play in 2017 or 18 uh 2019 he got in a little bit uh at the minor league level and then maybe a little bit at the major league level and he showed some stuff there and I thought he'd be a good get for some team and you know he he could be for the Giants but he's a he's a placeholder um 29 years old you know it's it's, he kind of missed his prime years with injury which is unfortunate um for him but yeah the Giants are kind of the team that are waiting in the waiting in the winds as they were to possibly sign one of these uh, free agents who are left. And we're quickly getting into nobody left range. So, hey, Indians, do something, please. Pretty please. Let's let's get off the board. Let's, let's swing back in. So if you weren't here last week um, over on Scouting Baseball, I write about the draft. And what I'm going to do is kind of quickly go through the top five who I talked about before. Uh, the Indians have a pair of picks in the top 40. It is a deep draft, but is not the uh, not the best up top. Top guy to me, Austin Martin. Uh, played all over, played some second, played some short, played some third. Hits really, really well. I don't know if he has uh, a lot of power. I don't know if he's going to be anything more than a second baseman. Um, but I think he's like a 65 hit tool guy. Really believe in the bat. Emerson Hancock, really good stuff. You know, you put him on TV and you just see the way everything breaks. It moves the velocity and you're like, how does this guy not strike out more than, uh, not even 10 per nine. And that's a bit of my concern with him. Um, young first class, really good stuff. Plus there are some health issues, which are a concern for a guy who, uh, with upper velocity, Torkelson, undersized first baseman who's hit for massive power through his college career, um, does everything. You just have to be okay with the fact that he is a, you know, like six foot one and right-handed uh, and plays first base. Nick Gonzalez, small school guy who absolutely obliterated competition at the Cape, proving himself, has been doubted his whole career. Had like one of two schools who were willing to let him play Division One baseball. Asa Lacey, much like Martin, was a former Indians draft pick. We knew neither of them would sign his day three picks. Uh, Lacey is a left-handed pitcher who missed uh, in the SEC uh, 
his strikeouts per nine were over 13, which, you know, compared to someone like uh, Hancock, though Hancock had a much better uh, walk rate. Lacey's had a little bit of uh, an issue with his command. It's men- led some to think he might be a reliever long-term. But, uh, yeah, his stuff took a jump in college. I think he's still kind of learning how to harness it. And that's that's some, one of those things I've spent a lot of time in the minors, and that just comes up. Some of these guys... It's a little bit harder when you're thing when you're you've pitched one way your whole life and then all of a sudden it's like oh I need what I'm doing is different like I've added multiple miles per hour to my fastball there's extra spin it's not doing what it used to do what do I need to do now and that that's a legitimate part of development Reed Detmers higher on him than the field I basically I see a guy who's been a dominant force in baseball comes from a pitching factory. Uh, looks like pitching wise a bit of a McKay clone in terms of the stuff isn't going to necessarily blow your your hair back but he knows how to pitch he knows how to hit his spots and he's just really hard to pick up I mean he has just gotten better every year and he pretty much stepped on campus and became the top guy um, at the Louisville program next is Jordan Walker he's committed to Duke he's a Georgia kid uh, big kid really strong easy 70 grade power potential down the line strong arm could stick at third could be something special there could be um the next great third baseman basically um really strong arm if he was not such a highly rated prospect i think he's a guy who would get consideration as kind of a a two-way guy but we don't see that as much with the high school kids who you're going to draft super high you kind of want them just to focus for a bit on an area but uh power potential big um this is where i might be guilty of like sizeism he's six foot five um super muscular super strong but then the guy who's number eight blaze jordan is uh in terms of when you look at like some of the stat cast numbers that perfect game has one can make a legitimate case that uh blaze jordan has better power potential than jordan walker but blaze jordan is uh is six foot two He's a super strong kid. He's maxed out at 228. He is, uh, as I wrote his profile, I was writing it in December on the day he turned 17. Uh, So he is not going to be 18 until late December. He reclassified for this class. Um, Four teams that value age and production at age. He's going to be it. He's going to be about as good as they come. The, The tools are there. You know, the obvious comparison is just Torkelson in this class. Um, similar size, similar power, similar kind of builds. So it's hard to put him over someone like Torkelson, and I'm notoriously a little bit more, especially at the top of the draft, risk-averse. But I, when you look at things that stand out, um, you know, in terms of the perfect game stat cast data, he is 99th percentile for every single category one could find on the perfect game side I wrote. So... Yeah, in terms of like wrist speed, uh, hand speed, bat swing, exit velocity, 99th percentile, he is he is strong. Now, I still have 9, 10, 11, and 12 to go. I'm going to leave that for tomorrow. We are a little bit over, not terribly, but just a bit. So it seems like a good time to put a pin in it until tomorrow. Maybe we'll have some Indians news. Hi, <laughs> kid. But maybe something will happen uh, interesting in baseball that we can talk about. In addition to this, we'll uh, once we get through the prospect talk, the draft talk, we will uh, start to look at, well, if this is what the Indians are going to be, then what are they going to be? What are the lineups? What are the roster construction? How is it going to go? What am I projecting um, at this point 
looking forward. Uh, I think, if nothing else, we should start to see them adding some you know, non-roster invitees to camp because other teams are as well. So we're starting to hit that stage. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it's an odd situation because the Indians clearly need to add another bat somehow. But I want to thank you for listening, for reading and reviewing, for being a part of the show. It is all of you are fantastic, and I thank you so much. And as always, go Tribe.